so I want to welcome Adam um, Hergenrother, and he is the founder and CEO of many companies. And uh, I got an opportunity to interview um, Adam. We published him on Authority Magazine, and I wanted to follow up because after um, getting all the information about your experience and your companies, outside of the fact that you have a very large organization, um, we actually have a lot in common. And so I was really excited to awesome. talk to you and ask you questions. And uh, we could just dive right in. And if you could just maybe just give us a little background before I start asking all the questions that I prepared for you. But um, just so the people listening understand who you are, maybe just a real quick, you know, when you started your businesses and how you got to where you are today with with the size that it is. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and Chad, thanks for all that you do for your magazine, for your, for the audience uh, and for anybody that's, that's uh, a member of your site, just because I know how much time and energy goes into this. And so uh, thanks for, for adding all the value that you do to everybody. So appreciate that. You. you know, my, uh, you know, everyone's got their own journey, right? For me, um, you know, when I was growing up, I kind of briefly get into this cause it's relevant to business. Um, I was about, uh, you know, I was really kind of about hundred pounds overweight. I was in the drugs, failing classes. And it's kind of that, that role model student that you wanted your, you know, your kids to hang out with per se. And it wasn't even that I was like a bad kid. It's just, I was lost and I was actually trying to be somebody else that I wasn't. And I really was, I would make up lies that were just insignificant, like that just didn't mean anything. And just, you know, trying to always fit in. Right. And I was really trying to fit into how the mold of what everybody else wanted me to be. And so I would always be like a chameleon and regardless of what I was, and it was exhausting to be honest with you. Finally, one day I came home as a freshman in high school and, you know, people have asked a lot of times, like, was there a trigger? Was there a moment? And it was, you know, I don't know what happened, you know, it's nature takes care of many things in our lives that we don't think about. So in this case, it, there was just this big movement that uh, was like, this is not the life you're supposed to live. And it wasn't like a, spiritual, you know, per se or woo moment. It's just, it was just a feeling, right? It just, it came over me. And I was like, this is, you're right. Like this, I don't want to live my life this way. And uh, so I stayed up all night. I remember playing Celine Dion on repeat for, it was, she was popular back then. Let's be clear. She was. And I, uh, um, I stayed up and I was in between crying and, and not necessarily for like angry things. I was just like, what am I doing in my life type thing? And my dad worked nights and he came in and uh, he was like midnight and he was like, what are you doing up? And I was like, I'm just not happy with my life, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, well, you know, you can, you can accept it or you can do something about it. And he shut the door and left like, just like that. I was like, great. Right. Uh, but he was, he was, he wasn't wrong. And so that's, I started getting into a little bit of vision, positive affirmations, visualizations at that time of kind of like, what do I want my life to look like? And so the next day I went to school as a freshman and I, I dropped all of the people that I was hanging out with. I wouldn't even call them friends because for the next two weeks, they broke all my windows. They threatened me with guns. Like it was like a, it was a big or cops were involved. Finally, they realized that once I was uh, kind of out of their grip, they just went on their own world. And unfortunately, a lot of those individuals uh, are no longer with us today. Um, and, uh, and there's, they weren't really bad individuals. They were just lost themselves too. And, and they didn't like the fact that somebody was moving outside of their group. And I got into football uh, as a freshman and, uh, I was, I got pretty competitive in it. So I ended up losing hundred pounds in a year and I, and physicality and fitness is really important to me today. Um, it's why a part of our foundation works with kids and youth and sports. Cause it really helped change my life. Uh, and it gave me the kind of courage and intensity to be able to, um, 
you know, live the life that I wanted to live. Um, and I, uh, I use that into, I would like to say that like it changed my life, like amazingly, but like, there were still a lot of challenges. I, you know, I went through high school and because my grades were so bad, I went through the gap program at UVM, but, um, I'm kind of fast forwarding. We can put a pin on these things and go back to it, but let me just get through the track and then you can ask your questions. Um, so I graduated and went into college. Um, I, I was on a, what's called a gap program, which was like guaranteed admissions, but I had to get a three hour better and, and straight schooling does not come naturally to me. Like I am intellectually, I struggle, like, um, I can take tests, but I have to study three times as hard. And I just honestly applied myself harder than everybody else did. And I ended up getting like a three, three, my first semester, by the way, there was nine of us that went into the gap program. I was the only one that made it after the first semester. Um, not that they're not smart. They just didn't really apply themselves. And so I ended up getting in and then I ended up graduating, but, um, uh, top of my class. And I was part of this in finance, um, this course called advanced honors, wall street seminar, which was amazing. But there was a key moment to this business as a freshman in college. I had a really good friend of mine. Um, he was in college, but not in college. Like he slept in my bed, basically like next to me, if you know, like the roommate that didn't go to college, but was there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, basically. Right. And uh, his dad owned a car dealership and he's like, he came to me and he's, I was working during college to pay for things. And he's like, Hey, if you give me $500, I can put $500 in Chris and um, Chad. And I think that, uh, uh, his name was Chris. Uh, and I went, I said, Chris, um, you know, do you think, you know, what, what do you think the return is going to be like? And he said, well, I think I can get us like two or $300 each. And so we put this money in and, uh, like a week later he came back to me and he said, Hey, look, I've sold this. We each made a thousand dollars. And Chad, you know, the thing is that it was the first time that I actually felt leverage in my life of I never saw the car, I never saw the vehicle, and my money went in. There's all the money that I had in my bank account, by the way, and I got it back. And so we just kept ro rotating and, and flipping cars, and I ended up massing like $60,000 as a freshman. I also learned the value of contracts because at the end of that year, he's like, at some point, he woke up and he goes, you're not doing anything. I don't need your money anymore. Thank you. Like, I'm done, right? And, and that was an interesting moment. But I ended up taking that uh, money, and I put it into a um, an investment property as a sophomore in college. And I was still living with my brother and, and kind of this thing. So I didn't buy a house. I didn't like increase my lifestyle that much. I just bought an investment property. And let me paint the era for this for folks. This was 2002, three and four and five, right? So like I literally timed the real estate market perfectly. And by the time I graduated college, it was worth like $80,000 more, right? And so I was like, no wonder why everyone's in real estate. This is like the easiest thing in the world. Like you just put some money in, you wait a couple of years. And it's like, this is, uh, this is why everyone's a billionaire. I get it now, right? And so I uh, ended up having to, I ended up selling that unit. That's a whole other story. Uh, and that I ended up paying a commission to a real estate professional. And I remember like that was as much money as I paid in a commission as I made pretty much all year. And I was like, man, I think I can do that. So I ended up leaving my job uh, and getting into real estate. And then from there, I I, I started building companies, right? I just, I, you know, leverage, I'm all, I'm, I tell people like I'm inherently lazy um, and so if there's anything that somebody else can do, I naturally try to find a way for them to do it better than I could, um, unless it has something to do with that only I can do it. And so I, I started naturally leveraging to other people. And the way that I first started building businesses was, was, was contrary to how most people built a business, which was, you've got to put your sweat and equity into it. And, and let me be clear. I worked 12 hour days, seven days a week for the first four years of my life. So it wasn't about sweat equity, but everyone's like, you got to be the one doing everything for, you know, it's just a different mindset of how to build a small business versus building a big business. 
And it wasn't until I met um, Gary in 2009 that he actually confirmed how I was thinking. And then from there, I just started blossoming. And, you know, we've got over thousands of people, you know, today uh, into our organization. And uh, yeah, so here we are. Unbelievable. And so how many employees do you have? We have over a thousand people at this point. Um, Yeah, it's in all of our organizations. And how many different leadership teams, leadership teams do you report to you? Uh, well, uh, there's probably direct reports. I have three. Okay. Three teams or three people? Three people. And then they have teams under the, under they that. all executive leadership teams and stuff like that. Pretty much presidents or CEOs of companies report to me. Okay. And I literally tried, I literally tried to fire myself from every position that I've ever had. <laughs> have you been able to do it? I have. Yeah. You know, it's not, I made some mistakes along the way, but, uh, a lot of them, but I, I literally, I, I'm not a great operator and I, I like to be the first one in and I'm willing to take risk and I'm willing to push the boundaries and create, take a vision and and push it and direct it and, and, and charge it. And then also I love hiring really good people. And, you know, the funny story about this, my, my dad is really good with like his hands, like in, in building things and construction and all my life, he was always trying to get me to like build a tree fort with him. And like, I would do it for an hour and I was like, this is ridiculous. We should just hire somebody to do this. And he's like, no, no, it's part of the whole thing. And finally, one day after like, I, 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 I made it, if you will, uh, I, I, he went to me and he's like, I think I understand this. And I was like, yeah, dad, here's the thing. Like you get so much joy from building something with your hands. I get the same joy from watching other people build it inside our organization. And I said, it's the same feeling. It's just two different ways of going about doing it. Right. right. So that was one of the things that resonated with you. So I, I was a visionary for over 20 years and I sold my company on my 25th anniversary and I had to find an operator at the end of it so I can go start something else. Yes. And so when I, when I, when I was thinking about our, the first interview we did, I resonated with it because I know how hard that is. And it's something that people who have never experienced that can, they can't wrap their head around it. And while you're doing it and you're sending ripples throughout your team, because you're changing, you're passing the torch of leadership. There's just a lot of nuances and you break through those ceilings, the complexities change. And then one thing that resonated with me big time was that you realized you didn't have the right team. Who's going to be able to take you to that next level. So talk to me about what you experienced with that, because I, I would imagine you were pretty close with people and you seem that you have that kind of personality. And so realizing that one, you're not the right person and your team's not the right person. You got to make these changes. You can make the changes. No problem. Your team, it changes their life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how did you, how did you make those decisions and tell me what the outcome was? Yeah, man, those, that's the hardest. That was probably the hardest part of my career uh, in terms of decision-making. I think a leaders, their work products are decisions. And that's what separates really great companies versus companies that stay mediocre is the quality of decisions somebody makes. Uh, and the reason why nobody else wants to make them is because they're they're hard, right? They they affect people's lives. And and I love my people. And so you know, I grew before I um, sold the majority of one of my companies. Um, I, uh, for, I I for about ten years I was really close to all these people. We built up. We were this this level, and we needed to scale our our organization. And I started bringing a, um, I started at first, the first actually interesting back up a second, just telling the leadership team that they're going to be bringing, I'm bringing somebody else in to be the main operator 
created way more ripples effect than I actually had anticipated. Like people were instantly texting and emailing me one-on-ones, like, what does this mean for me? It's gonna be a different level of accountability. I'm here for you. Like all of this conversation, I actually, I was like, look, I'm not going anywhere, right? Like I'm just, I need somebody to make your life, life easier and also hold you more accountable because I naturally will get more into visionary mode versus accountability mode, right? And so I need somebody that holds models, systems, and, uh, and, and, and the rest of the organization together in that, in a cohesive way, I need a real operator. And so I went and found an operator and what started happening was this individual was doing just that they were holding everybody accountable. They were holding systems accountable, projects accountable. And it, it created this, like, we don't do it that way. Well, this is the way we're doing it. Right. And this whole, like, I mean, it was tough. And I realized the the majority of our leadership team that we had built was not the right organization, the right team to get us to the next level. And we started hiring additional, you know, I, I brought in a, you know, a president and then he had his own people, as you know, that they do, right. They wanted to bring in a couple of his own people. So he started doing that. And then all of a sudden it occurred to this and more. And so finally I sat down and I, said, I was like, look, like, this is just with me. And I just, just being real. I was like, I, I either am going to lose the people that I just hired, which I think are the team to bring us to the next level because they're going to get really frustrated with other people slowing them down. And not that either team's really wrong per se, they're just seeing the world differently. Uh, and if I don't let go of our existing leadership team, then they're going to sit there and fight. And, and now they're unhappy because they have this new team coming in there. And so ultimately, you know, we had to make some tough decisions of just, uh, well, I had to, I had to make some really tough decisions of just letting some, some of our seasoned individuals go. And I took as great care of them as I could. And just let them know that we're always there and the organization's in a different spot. And uh, I also explained it with my own position of, you know, Hey, they're coming in and take over a lot of what I do. And it's not just me or not just you, it's me too. Right. Cause they're the ones that can, that can operate this at a different level. And I'm really excited for them to come in, but it's, you know, we summarize that in a couple of minutes, but if you're going through that over these months, it's very taxing and it can be intoxicating at times. And you just have to know that business is nothing but a conduit for your personal growth. Yeah. I, and I was at the say like for me, and that sounds like for you too, having the self-awareness to know that you're in the wrong seat before someone has to tell you that you're in the wrong <laughs> yeah, seat exactly. is a good, is a good deal. Right. Cause I was having, I was causing problems in my yes. business because I'm not that operator and I was doing it for so long and we hit the, we broke through those feelings and those new complexities came up and they were above my pay grade. <laughs> like I didn't know how to do it and I didn't want to do it. I was frustrated yes. and it, it, it was hard. Tell me though. And I, and I could tell without even really knowing that much about it, but I'm, I was a big culture guy and I would imagine you are too, because you care about your people. And I know that if you look at like the military around hundred, 120 people is when they break off their battalion, right? Because you can't keep your culture. So for someone who focuses on culture and focuses on building your, your people, um, how hard has it been and how have you done it? How have, cause it changes. And I don't know what it's like to have as many employees as you have, but I know it changes around that hundred mark. And I'm just curious to know like your journey with culture if you could just talk about it and how have you tried to kind of sustain it as you've grown? Yeah, it's really interesting. In the beginning, it was very easy because I was the, and then this is, this becomes easy, but also becomes the problem for most entrepreneurs that own smaller businesses. And they can be big. I just mean smaller businesses and count as everything's built on the nucleus of an individual. So like their behavioral patterns are also basically um, you hire people to uh, um, kind of, 
cater to your faults, if you will, as a leader. So you hire people and they start picking up where you slack off. So the system is actually built on an individual's faults, if you will. And this is where people get stuck in them building the nucleus. And one of the biggest mistakes I see is when people try to remove themselves, the rest of the organization doesn't know what to do because it was built on this one individual pulling all the strings all the time. In the beginning, when you're the one doing that, you're touching everybody, right? And even if there's a second layer, even if there's 50 employees or 30 employees, you know, it can get, it can get I feel like after 30, it can, you can get lost pretty quickly, but even 30 to 50, you start, you know, you can still feel the organization. If like, I'm like, like my hands out, like people can see it, but like, you can kind of feel the organization. You get a tone for how people are. And then at some point after 50 or 60, you just don't even know who's even hired anymore. Like you're, I mean, you may get an email about it and like you may send it over there, but like people are coming and going. Some people are leaving. Some people are being fired. Some people, are, it's just, you can't pay. And it's, it's not like you don't care about them. You just can't physically pay all of your attention to that because you wouldn't do anything, right? So you just naturally find yourself just unaware of things that are happening um, or you walk through the hall one day and you just don't know half the people that are in your office, right? That are there. Um, and you know, so what we decided to do as we were building this is each core group has like embody like a, an ethos or part of your part of the organization that fosters the overall culture of the organization. So the way I thought about this is if, if we can get every six to nine people embodying who we are as an organization, then the whole organization stands for that. And so, you know, we sit down and you can create your kind of like win-win or no deal, right? That's one of our things, right? Um, you know, seek curiosity first, right? That's another thing that we kind of are big on. And we had a list of like eight of those things, but the reality is, is they really boiled down to a couple, which is, uh, which is really how we try to translate our organization, which is it's got to be a win-win or no deal. So like, if this is not a win for you, it's not a win for me. In sports, there's a win-lose relationship, right? And everyone goes in knowing that. In business, it doesn't need to be that way. With your clients, with other employees, with your manager, with your leader, with your with your subordinates, whoever it is, win-win or no deal for people going on there. And then always seek curiosity first, which is really a way of saying drop your ego when you go in there, no nodding to be right. If you don't, if you go into a conversation with the expected outcome that you want to happen already, then you go in. Uh, unwilling to look at other alternatives that might be able to better serve the organization. And so for us, it's a really big, and like, and it doesn't mean that you won't feel hurt if people don't use your stuff. It doesn't mean that you may not like what the decision is, but you're willing to see other angles instead of being so rigid in terms of this is the way it's going to be. And this is the way we've decided to do it. So we really seek curiosity how each individual is thinking about a problem, seek curiosity how each individual is thinking about how to solve a, you know, a client issue or the employee issue, whatever that is. And that has really served us well uh, in our organization as we've grown. Very cool. Did you, have you ever brought in a third party? Like, are you familiar with like an EOS company or like, yeah. have you guys used them? We never have. Um, how did you, know, you, how did you in your journey you know, and we'll talk about at the end, you know, your desire to be kind of in that coaching mode in that, in that professional development mode of, of helping people become their best version of themselves. But how did you learn it? What did you go to courses? Did you have coaches? That's a great, yes. Uh, yes to all of that. You know, the reality is I joke with people, like, I feel like I built an organization so I could coach and train to them, um, <laughs> to be honest with you. And like, it just happened to be in real estate and we happened to, you know, build it from there. At the heart, I love coaching and training and making an impact. It's such a cliche word, but just helping other people gain more inner inner peace or just lightness in their life, right? Any way we can do that. Um, and so we would we bring that level of personal growth into our organization. It's always been on the forefront of this. So in the when I was in the very big, actually 
back up um, in 2006, when I started to getting into real estate, I borrowed $8,000 to start my first business and I took all of it and I went to a conference. So how many people, literally I spent all of my money on education, right? And so I remember going to this conference and I was there for three hours and I was there with my girlfriend who now is my, my wife. Uh, and I took in all the information that I, that I needed and I went back. And so education and training has been an absolute staple in my life. I've done, you know, I've done everything that, you know, I think early in my 09 or 10, 11, I did everything that Tony Robbins ever did. I actually ended up speaking with Jarek Robbins in Boston um, at an event one day. I met Tony, like I did all that style. I went to um, Bain Henyon. I don't know if you're ever familiar with that name. He had this thing called the AVA. It was all about behavioral analysis for individuals when hiring people. And I went down for a week and took this course on how to use you know, um, these really cool assessments. Now there's a lot more of them, but just really cool assessments on how to, to understand somebody's natural behavior uh, and how they're going to respond in the workplace. And I ended up using that into a lot of stuff. And then I started teaching that stuff. So all over, and that became pretty fun to teach people how to understand behavior, understand your own behavior, how to lead in, in people. Because again, how, for me- how did, how did you scale yeah. that in your company with all your employees? Uh, you know, well, for me, it was just me. In the beginning, like it was just right. me teaching. I was, I was teaching- all the time. Right. And, and people then would teach it from there, but that's really what it was. It was just me. Um, and then I, I started, you know, in 2012, I started a company called MindSpark that lasted for like 90 days. Right. It was, it was kind of my pre-venture of trying to do like a Tony Robbins esque, if you will, of what it was. And, um, and we used some of those videos and we made them fun, but, uh, and then, uh, Gary Keller, who's my business partner and also a mentor of mine, um, his, his philosophy is training. And so I, I spent about a month, um, a couple of days a month for about three or four years down in Austin with him. And he taught me a tremendous amount of information that I would then take and then go teach the rest of the organization. Um, and, and so he is, he was very, very open. And there was a group of three or four of us early on in our careers that we were, were building that we were meeting with him personally. And, and that, that gave me the kind of the runway to go out and teach to other people. Very cool. That's not, that's really, there's cool. always, well, there's, you know, the thing is though, is, I mean, there's, there's always people that are going to make the big difference in your life and I, and no one ever succeeds alone. Um, right. if you think you do, you're just, you're missing the people yeah. around you're you. Blessed. And, you're blessed. I, I, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I think about, I know a lot of people that don't have someone like that in their life and, uh, it's a tough thing because you're right. You can't do it by yourself. And I've also had to answer your question on coaches. I had coaches many times throughout my life. Um, I don't necessarily now, but, um, I have more, a lot more mentors that, uh, are in my life that I consider, you know, um, coaches, if you will, they're just not, they're not hardcore. Like, did you get this accountability done? But they're more of like, uh, in terms of larger decisions that have to be made, we kind of bounce them off from there. Right. So I, um, I started in my, in my leadership program and it was about a lot of what I hear you talking about a lot about what we discussed in your first interview. And it starts with picking your big dream and, and hitting your why and knowing why you're coming in every day, getting that purpose clear, getting that vision clear, and then being able to communicate that to the rest of your organization on top of being able to build yourself. So like your core, right? And one of the pieces to that, which really struck me when I was reading your, 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 uh, your response to me when I had asked you a couple of questions was the identity piece, which is you had talked about, you, you didn't know who you were. You were doing videos, you had a suit on, you, you know, you, you're like asking us, who are you? And it's, it's a crazy thing because it took me many, many years to realize, you know, like, what does it mean to try to identify who you are? And I, I realized more recently as I sold businesses and I became in a different role that like, you know, you could say you're an athlete, but if you don't play sports anymore, you're not an athlete, but you may identify as that. Yeah. 
So I'm curious, you know, I had my way of doing it, but like, how did you figure out your like true identity? And how do you, how do you coach other people who are, who most people are walking through life? They do not know who they are. And I say it's one of the hardest things in the world to do is to be yourself. Yeah. It's a very deep and beautiful question. I brought up the story when I was um, a freshman in high school, because um, I figured we'd come back to this. You know, I, I had that turning point in my life. When I got into business early in my 20s, I set out to be a powerhouse, right? I wanted I wanted to be a billionaire. I wanted people to bow to me. I wanted the power. I wanted the prestige. I wanted the fame. I wanted I really wanted my parents to know that I was successful, right? Like I literally was trying to prove to the world, right? Like and it worked, by the way. Um, there's cost to that, but it it worked. Um, and I uh, and I had this goal um, that once I hit five hundred thousand dollars in income that somehow there was going to be this magic fruit tree in my backyard that was going to be filling me up with peace every moment. You know, I come to realize this is how I defined uh, how most people say, go be successful. This is how I, I've, I've come to define it for people. Most people that say that, like, go get, go be a business owner, go get money, go whatever it is, your fame. They're what they're really saying is that go be successful, which means if I go get enough money, power, leverage, authority, right? Higher roles, any of those type of, of those accolades. If I get any of that stuff, then what I'm going to be able to do is I'm going to be able to control the situations around me so that the inner experience that I'm having is the inner experience that I want to have. And that's what people are defining as success. And so for, and I didn't say it like that back then and I've come to say it now. And so when, when I hit, when I was in, uh, when I was 26, I was at a holiday party and I was with my mom, who's the most unassuming individual. She could care less about money. We all know that somebody like that, right? They're like, they, you could, you could literally tell them you just made a billion dollars and they would be like, that's great. Right. Like, they just literally truly don't care. Right. Um, and, uh, I went to her and I was like, Hey, I made $500,000 this year. And she was like, that's great. Pass the ketchup. And in that moment, uh, I realized like, oh, she doesn't care. She actually doesn't care the fact that I made this money. And then what really happened though, is I went home that night and I said, do I care? Do I actually care that I made this money? And of course my ego would be like, well, of course you care. You can do all these different things and look at all the stuff you're doing. And like, look at all these awards you've won. Right. And my ego is just, you know, talking in, in incessantly, but the deeper part of me was like, you know, I don't know if I care. And so I started my journey of going much more inwardly at that point. I realized that the path that I was on um, I enjoyed building things and I enjoyed being in the world, um, but I didn't, I want to attach myself or my identity to anything that I was doing anymore. And the the funny thing is, is the minute I pulled away from that and, and I would say, I like to say like it happened overnight, but for years I faked it, right? For years I was like, oh, I'm going down the spiritual path and yet I would be totally consumed by my ego, right? Like it was like, you know, I was putting on a really, that, that whole spiritual ego people are talking about now. And that happened for like three or four years. But each time, like I just got a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, and it, it got easier to see my actions and what I was, what was really driving me and what my real motives were. And it was all, none of that was who I was. And these roles that we play in life are wonderful and they're ease and we can label them. Don't know who you are. Again, like you said, you can be an athlete, but if you lose your legs, you're not, you know, you're not an athlete, right? Or right. I guess you could be, but like, you're not there. If you're a CEO at some point, I'm no longer going to be CEO, right? I've already been removed from those things. Like if you're a parent, you know, at some point, you know, you could not be a parent, right? Or if you're a grandson, at some point you may not, you know, where you get the whole point, right? 
these roles that we play, we get so attached to them and we attach ourselves to them that those end up driving our lives. Right. And so for me, when I went into this inward journey, I recognized that um, there was a whole other side of life, which is 100% inner world. There was still 100% outer world, which I love to play in. But if I didn't put myself together first, it didn't matter what I was going to do out there. It was never going to give me the feeling that I'm looking for. And that's what, you know, up for those 10 years, I was searching for that feeling of, I want this, I want to be free. I want to feel lightness. I want peace in my life. I want to be able to, I think the absolute freedom people are really looking for is to be able to walk through this world um, without being hit by the world's experiences, meaning not to be disturbed by things that happen and not to wear a coat of anxiety around with you that do I keep my money and like how people are going to sue me and all these different things of just being able to be truly allow life to be life. Um, and that's a wonderful freeing feeling. Why most people are on drugs and they use substances yeah. to cope with the, the problems because they don't want to have life hit them in the face. And, you know, for leadership and anyone who's into it, and I know you can speak to this too, but you build yourself in, the inward so that when the storm hits, you can stand. So you yeah. don't get knocked over because the time to start working on it is not when the storm comes because the storm's coming. It's coming for everybody and everyone's going to experience it. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, it's a very powerful message and that you're very blessed to be able to find that. So early on the self-awareness of going inward, because I think I always say that when a rich person walks into a room and everyone is like, wow, millionaire, billionaire, whatever the person is, meanwhile, the guy, and that's the defining, that's what they're defining as successful. I know Well, the guy could be beating his wife at home. He could be yes. a total jerk to his kids. Yeah. He could be who knows. Right. And I just think it's a, it's a, it's an interesting way of looking at, rich and wealth. And I, and I think wealth is different than being rich in life. No question. So I, I, I think uh, your, your perspective is very healthy. And I, you know, there was a, a funny story about this. I was meeting um, a few years back, I was meeting with the wealthiest person in Vermont who does a really good job of hiding who he is. And, um, and uh, he had just come back from Warren Buffett's giving pledge in New York City. And this is like the night before he was down there. And they said there was 100 billionaires. I was having breakfast with him. There's 100 billionaires there. And you know what he said to me, and uh, he, what, we were just talking about it and talking about money. He's like, you know, Adam, uh, it was really interesting. He's like, you know, there's a hundred billionaires in the room. 97 of them are absolutely miserable. And these guys have created massive value. They've created drugs that have saved lives. They've created computers that have created efficiencies beyond anything. They've got their names on hospitals and wings and colleges and have donated hundreds of millions of dollars to fight hunger. And like, they've done all these wonderful, amazing things in their life. And at every one of them, 97, he said, 97% of them are absolutely miserable. And he said, their, their inward state is just, he said, Warren's not like that, by the way, he said at all. And he's not either. And he said, there's a, there's another one that he didn't name. Um, but he said, everybody else was, was exactly what you just described. And he's like, you didn't want to talk to them because like, they are just, they were just they the search for more, because if you play that game, the egoic game, it's, you're never satiated. You're always going to be, you're never satisfied and you will always be looking for the next thing. And that's why then that, that the problem with that is. Once you get to the level those guys are at and you realize I've got everything I could ever imagine in my entire life and I still don't feel any better, then where do you go? And that's why people then go, I need to go make another billion or I need to go build another company. And they just repeat the pattern over and over again. Yeah. So yesterday I had an interview with someone who helps people with um, addictions and, you know, the real addiction to work is a real thing, you know, you, you know, and, and, and especially like for visionaries who have ideas and they want to like be able to go do more. 
And I, my, my own motto personally is like, just because I can do it doesn't mean I should go do it because <laughs> you, di- you dive in, you dive yes. into it and you know what happens when you dive into yeah. it. You start a whole ripple. And then when you realize you don't want it, then you're rippling out and it's yes. hitting people's lives. And it's a, yes. it's a, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to be able to be in that, in that role. And I think being able to temper that and, and to know who you are is so, it's such a foundational piece to leadership that I think people just, they want the secret the secrets to be able to let be and it just doesn't, it's not like that. It's yeah. built over time. And I think I'm curious to know, cause I know we don't have too much time left, but um, just a couple other things. One real quick one is, um, is there anything that you can think of that you th- think deeply about, or that you believe so much that other people think you're crazy? Uh, I think about death often. Um, I say like 40 times a day. Wow. Uh, not in a morbid thought way, but in a way of understanding to appreciate the deepest part of the moment. I think most people fear death because they're they're still thinking that life owes them something or they're still searching for some experience in their life that they haven't received. Um, and if you keep it on the forefront of your life and you realize that every experience that you're having is experience and the depth of that experience is what you're looking for is already right in front of you. And it helps bring a lot more um, blessings into your life, but it also gives you peace. It gives you the only, your own peace with mortality. Uh, it allows you to be a lot more freer in your life. Wow. Okay. I have a question for you on that. So I learned from someone that um, when you have deep beliefs, sometimes it's better not to share because when you share it and people aren't where you are, no matter what they say can kind of take the air right out of you just because of their reaction to it. So something like that, where it's a constant in your brain and you're using it as an actual motivator. I mean, you're using it in a positive way, but when people hear you, I would imagine they immediately go dark with it and they think you're, you know, again, I guess you answered my question. You think you're a little crazy. And um, so I'm curious, do you, do you share that a lot with people or is that something that you just kind of keep to yourself? When they ask, um, if people ask, then I will certainly share anything. I, I try to not push anything on anybody. Um, and I think if the time is right for anybody, I mean, we've, you know, it's one of the reasons why I wrote the 200% life book um, was, is a, a practice of this hundred percent inner world, hundred percent outer world and a re- reflective and new way to look at leadership. Um, and we talk about death in the book and, you know, it's a lot of people's favorite chapter because it just, it helps people that and identities, you mentioned identities and that's another one for people, but um, you know, the people that want to talk about it, will talk about it. And then if people ask me about my thoughts about death and cause here's the, here's my, there's no logical reason why you wouldn't talk about it. Because it is, you are going to die, right? I'm always interested in people's response when they don't like that. And I listen, right? I, I don't put any judgment on them because that's their that's their path and that's for them. Uh, but the you are going to die and we got to recognize that. And that could happen at any point in time. So then stop trying to think that life owes us anything. It doesn't owe us anything. It's already owed you everything you could ever experience. You know, again, the only reason why people fear so much death is because they fear that there's an experience they still haven't had, which by the way, is them for self-realization to understand who they are it's not enlightenment enlightenment is a, is a state of consciousness reserved for masters but it's just it's a state of consciousness to understand who is the one that was when you looked in the mirror when you were 10 it was the same you looking in the mirror when you're 10 and you're looking in the mirror today you just see a different reflection who is in there that one that understands that you had a dream who is the one that doesn't that understands you didn't have a dream who is the one that feels all of the emotions you feel every moment? Who is the one that hears that voice in your head? By the way, even narrating this conversation, instead of listening to you and I, they're listening to the mind narrate whether they like what I said or didn't like what I said, right? <laughs> they're in there listening to that. So who's the one listening? 
And once you realize that's really you and everything else are just objects of consciousness, it gives you a much deeper sense of peace and gratitude for whatever is unfolding in front of us. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good perspective. Do you have a hard time, even though you let people think and believe what they want, but those that don't have that growth mindset, those that don't have any aspect of their life where either it's the positive thinking or it's the the, the, the desire to grow, when you have a team as large as yours, you're going to have people that, I mean, I, I have a leadership team and only 30% of my company was in it because it's hard to look at yourself and figure this stuff out because you got to dig out some stuff and people don't want to do it. How did you, how do you deal with that? And, and is it a problem for you and your organization when you want to try to build something great? You can, you know who you need to do it with, but you got people there that aren't doing it. Yeah. Um, it's always a challenge, just like any business, which is why we get into it because it gives us opportunities to solve things for, for me. This is one of the reasons why I've removed myself from a lot of these positions is because there's people that should probably better off serving the individuals that need to on an everyday business of taking care of it. And then I try to bring in the overarching um, culture of the organization through teachings and trainings and videos and books and that type of thing. I think I'm best served there. Um, and then they get those pieces in there. Like I just completed a, a course for all of our people on physical like responsibility, right? So like, that's one way to be able to teach people. And we did a, a four week course, right? Which is about what are your personal financial looks like? What are your, it's amazing how many people don't even know what their own, they, people have an idea and they think they know what they're spending every month. And I've done this for years. You probably have too. Everyone is way underestimating what they spend every month. They just are. And then it's almost, they don't want to look what they're actually spending because they know it's like, it's almost like you almost don't want to look in the scale to see what you weigh, right? Or you don't want to look at your bank account at the end of the month because you're afraid of what's in there. And then I actually always ask people, I go, well, well who's, who, who's afraid in there? Well, who, who's actually afraid? Nobody else is around when you look at the scale. So who's afraid? <laughs> and it just, again, I kind of, I kind of insert that growth mindset into that way. But of course there's people that don't want to grow. And if they're a wonderful contributor to the organization, we did, we don't push anything on them. Um, but of course there's people that are growth oriented and are not good people in the organization. And, and, and those individuals no longer have a, have a spot here, but, um, we, uh, we try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt and uh, with accountability. And, um, if they up to that, then we'll, we'll take as deep as we can in terms of the personal growth realm and, um, if they want to go deep into that, they do. And, and there's people that are, you know, it, first entry level employees that, that love from a really deep spiritual perspective, email me and, and I respond to everybody about that and what we can do and how we can help them. Very cool. So, uh, last thing I want to wrap up with, um, can you walk me through your day? What time do you get up your, your disciplines that you throughout the day and, where is your time spent? You, you know, you have these companies, you're doing some stuff that you want to go chase down your dream, which is going to be in the coaching world. So tell me a little bit about your program, how much time is spent on your companies overseeing the things. And then personally, like, just walk me through your day. Yeah. Um, I don't even call it discipline because like, I, I don't feel like I'm a disciplined person. I just feel like I've built, like, it's what I enjoy doing. So like people, I get up at four o'clock in the morning and people are like, wow, you're so disciplined. I'm like, I actually just enjoy getting up in the morning. Like I enjoy having, again, you can call it whatever you want and put labels on it, but I get up at four, I drink some water. I go outside, whether it's really cold or really hot. I just take some fresh air in. Um, and usually I have a German shepherd. So I usually let him out with me as well too. And then I meditate for 20 minutes. I do transcendental meditation. As soon as I'm done meditating, I get into a series of journaling. 
and I have a journal for each one of my kids. I have three kids under 11 and I journal about um, ever since they were born, every day of their life, they have a journal about their life. And I bring in photos too. I use Evernote. So I, I just drag photos into it. So they have a collage of their entire life of things they said they did that they, nobody would ever remember. Right. And so later on, if I happen to leave before they really, cause you know, do you really know somebody when, I mean, when you were seven, do you really know who your parents are? Do you know how they really felt about you? So I, I didn't, I never wanted them to question how I feel about them and, and how much they meant to me. So I, I journaled about their lives every day. So each one of my kids has that. Um, and it's just some funny things that are in there too. And then I have one for my wife as well too, which is the 365 things that I'm grateful for, for her. And I, and again, sometimes it's hard to find something <laughs> that you're grateful for, for her. Uh, but it forces me to get out of that thinking of like about her and thinking about, uh, or about me, how I feel and thinking about holding space for her. So I, I journal about that. And then I have a, like a, it's just an Adam's journal. Like it's literally like the, the good, the bad, the ugly. It's really just taking anything that's taking or trying to consume me uh, from a thought perspective. And I put it on paper and get it out there. People ask, I don't ever really read them again. I just more about cleansing and clearing out so that I'm clear. Again, I said earlier, I think the biggest thing a leader can do and leading your family, leading a company, leading a sports team, leading, you know, coaching your kids team, whatever you're doing is quality of decisions. And so the clearer you are, the more stability you have, the, the more vision you have, the better your decision-making is. And so for me, when I journal and I meditate and I get in there, it clears things out so I can see things as them being undisguised so I can make a better decision. Then I, as soon as I'm done that, then I get into a lot of exercise. I've done a bunch of Ironmans. So I'm a big endurance guy. So every day, like right now it's, it's, it's skiing season. So I skin every morning at 550. So I literally skin up a mountain. I, I changed like this morning, I did two laps, right. You know, and so I climbed like 4,000 vertical feet and seven degrees and skied like an incredible powder this morning, right. Just untouched stuff. And then I'm back at my house by like 740. Right. And so like, I, I see my kids off. Um, I say goodbye to them. And then I usually start my day around 8.30. And then uh, 8.30 to 9 to about 11.30 is reserved for appointments. I block from 11.30 to one off each day and I meditate again. And I, I'm, I'm focused on what I eat. So I eat again. I also like handle like the various things that come in, right? Emails, phone calls, the five minutes somebody needs during that time as well. And then from one until about 4.30 is another blocked time. Usually about four, because I like to have a half an hour of transition back throughout uh, my day. Uh, and then I'm pretty much done. Uh, and that's about four days a week. Uh, Fridays being very, uh, very open. Um, and that is really reserved for reading, uh, writing, content creation uh, on those type of things is what I'm really doing. Um, I'm actually, I've actually added Wednesdays uh, into a lot of content creation. I have my own podcast. So we do, we spend about four hours putting together that whole thing. So um, a lot of my, as I've become less and less of an operator over this past year, I have a lot more free time to go into the more coaching, the training, uh, creating, again, we wrote a book, uh, my second book, um, this one more about this. Um, and so I just try to get that out there as much as possible. And do you have a leadership program that you do offer people? Uh, we do. Um, we have, uh, it's called project you, it, we, we sold out. I don't think I'm actually going to do it again next year. Um, I think I'm going to create more of an, of a, an online course. That's a more equitable version. The problem is when you're holding events and stuff, there's a cost associated to that. And I'd rather take, uh, more of my time and energy and create courses that are much more affordable for people to be able to get out to more people and people are asking for that. So I think we're going to position that ends in June. Um, and we're going to start transitioning to more of, uh, of that way to help push it out.
very cool. It's so funny you had started that off that you didn't feel like you were a disciplined person. You filled your life up with the things that you love and the things that you're good at and ends up being, you know, just like your daily routine, but you're the most disciplined dude I've ever met. <laughs> so people say, I know, I just don't, I just don't see, I don't wake up feeling like I'm very disciplined. I understand right. the mechanics of the word and how people describe it, but I just wouldn't have any other way, right? right? Like I don't need to work ever for generations from a financial standpoint, right? And I don't think you do either. Like I could do whatever I want. So like, I just... I set up my life the way I would do it. And I, I really enjoy, look, nothing good happens after 8.30 anyways, right? Like really like nothing good. So I go to bed early. People, the next question everyone asks, what time do you go to bed? I'm like, I go to bed early. I put my kids to bed and I'm sleeping before nine o'clock, right? Like I'm, that's just, I usually like to go to bed at 8.30, right? That's just what I love to do. But I love that morning time. And I would do that again. It's, there's nothing to do with work. As yeah. I could, again, nothing. It's just, I enjoy doing that. Yeah, it's funny. So I wake up at four. And my favorite part about that is that I love when that 8.30 rolls around the morning that like, or 7.30, everyone else is waking up. So everything I'm doing while they're sleeping and I've always done that too. And I got more done and it's the the time it's, you know, that's, you you can, everything in life that you lose that has a price tag can be replaced. Yeah. Yes. But our time can't be. So if you don't make use of your time and everyone says time goes so fast. I use, I always hear entrepreneurs say, I want to live in the moment. I want to be present. I'm like, well, you got to be present. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and if you don't, that's when you hear people say time goes so fast because they're not present. So they're thinking about the future. They're worried about the past. And the next thing you know, it's the end of the year and it's New Year's Eve. And it's like, holy cow, where did the year go? But unless you take time to actually make use of your time, you're going to always feel like it went fast. Always. So you can slow down your life. Your life. It's funny how, how many successful people wake up early. It is incredible. It is. It really, it really, it really is. I have a, there's a few people in my executive leadership team that are night owls, but, and they, they truly are way better on at night. I've, it's like, they are literally like, and I've, cause they know I'm, I've, I've pushed mornings for forever and they literally have tried it. And like, they're, they, they can work till one in the morning. Like I work at four in the morning. Like it is, it is wild. Like, and I'm like, you need to go, but it's a small percentage of people. It's like less than 10%. But right. it just, if people are hearing this, I used to not be like that. When I first got in the business, I would sleep till seven 30. This was, you know, when I was 21, 22 years old. And so like, I just, I remember reading an article that Tim Cook had, um, it, it talked about his routine. He got up at five o'clock in the morning. And I was like, well, if Tim's getting up at five, I should get up at four 30. And I just remember that's how my path started. And I realized, I also think people need a reason to get up. Um, and I think if you don't, if you just get up to not do anything, it can be anything you can walk, you can read, you can, you can meditate, you can prayer, whatever it is that you want to do, have a reason to get up. And then you have a reason to get, go to bed. I always joke with people. I'm like, People really need an alarm clock at night, not an alarm clock in the morning. Because really, if you have an alarm clock at night and you go to bed, you get up. It's I get the same amount of sleep. I still get seven and a half hours of sleep, right? And it's wonderful sleep, and it's it's good. So, Adam, I was really enjoyed our conversation. I could go on all day, but I really appreciate your time, and I wish you nothing but the best of luck with all your endeavors, with your coaching program, and with the impact that you have on people's lives. Nothing but blessings and success for you and your family. And I hope your kids grow up one day and realize how blessed they are to have a father who's capturing um, everything that we don't remember when we're little kids. And I think that's a real special thing that you do. And it's a great discipline. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I look forward to hopefully connecting in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate this conversation. I loved it and uh, appreciate all that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Let's say.